It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I have been talking for a couple of weeks about how an old friend would be returning to the podcast in a regular role. And everybody was wondering who I was talking about. Well, I was talking about one of my all-time favorite guests, somebody who is absolutely one of the most fun people on earth to talk to. And as much as it's terrible to wish somebody to be on the beat To cover this godforsaken team sometimes I'm glad to have him back covering the Jets At least for now So that he can come on the show Mr. Daryl Slater of NJ.com Daryl, welcome back, buddy Hey, man Good Good to be talking to you again Obviously, lots happened since we last talked I guess the Jets beat is like the Hotel California for you, Daryl. You can check out any time you like But you can never leave (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah Chris Ryan was obviously a crazy year last year With, you know, sports Mm -hmm calendar turned upside down Chris Ryan our Devils writer was sort of cast into uncertainty there when the Devils season ended and uh, he did a good job filling in on the Jets last year and then Devils start back up here in January he moves back and I'm filling in for now we'll see but uh, what, what happens but uh, yeah they, they obviously needed someone to handle handle the coaching search and uh, it was uh, an interesting couple weeks as usual as these things are so um, now we're back to sort of the mid-January optimism of a new coach. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case in a lot of ways when they hired Gase, but (laughs) uh, I think a lot of people feel good about this hire, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. Daryl, I should say before we get started that if you wanted to talk about the hiring of Robert Sala, you should have called last week for the show today about (laughs) Robert Sala, and if you want to talk about the coaching staff, you should call tomorrow about next week's show if anybody doesn't know what we're talking about this is a recurring joke that daryl and i have about an old sketch on mr show with bob and david it's called the pre-taped call-in show and i had to reference it right now since daryl is back on the show but it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see that is an all-time gem i think that's i've seen you see rankings of their other sketches and that's right up there top five always so check it out if you haven't uh as good as it gets, as good as it gets, the whole series, obviously. So as we talked about on here, yeah, for sure. And anybody who hasn't watched it may be surprised to see Saul Goodman in that role because Bob Odenkirk really started to break out on that show with David Cross. Fantastic sketch show that was on HBO. So go ahead and find it. But that sketch, the pre-tape Colin show, is one of my all-time favorites and one of Daryl's all-time favorites too. So let's talk a little Jets here, Daryl, before we get into your fantastic piece on Robert Sala and some speculation about some moves the Jets might make. Looks like Robert Sala has added to the coaching staff beyond Mike LaFleur. Who are we looking at so far? Yeah, so it looks like Robert Sala is, and it doesn't really look like he is focusing 
Warren sort of building out his offensive staff early on here in his time with the Jets, and they haven't even introduced him yet. So <laughs> it is very early. And um, so, yeah, Michael Floyd will obviously be the offensive coordinator, comes over from being the Niners passing game coordinator. And then uh, here yesterday, or was it Sunday or whenever, they added uh, their offensive line coach, John Benton, who is the Niners O-line coach. He'll be the run game coordinator, too. Fancy title and all that. Uh, the QB coach, Greg Knapp, who will work closely, obviously, with Michael Floor and whoever the quarterback is. He comes from the Falcons, where he was, the, obviously, the QB coach there. So those those three, and then the Jets, uh, well, actually, they added another guy, Rob Calabrese, who's the pass game specialist, who, who obviously will have a, a role under LaFleur. He was a QC quality control coach with the Broncos last year, and he's from Long Island, so a little bit of a homecoming there. And then today here, well, Miles Austin had been had been out there before, but he'll coach the receivers for the Jets. Everyone you know knows who he is, former NFL receiver, Jersey guy, played at Monmouth, and has uh, just launched his uh, coaching career last year with the Niners as a quality control coach there. Had been a scouting uh, intern with the Cowboys before that. So, and then then the running backs coach will be a guy named Taylor Embry, who was the University of Colorado tight ends coach last year under uh, Carl Durrell. A lot of uh, Jets fans remember him, mm-hmm. former receiver coach of the Jets. And so Embry is coming in to coach running backs with the Jets, and he has a solid connection as well because he used to be a quality control coach there. And a LaFleur connection, of course, too. Uh, a quality control coach there with the Niners. Um, so these are guys who have worked with Robert Sala, who have worked with Michael Floor. Obviously makes sense. You're going to hire those type of guys, especially for position coach roles. So they know the, the Kyle and Mike Shanahan style offense, and uh, that's sort of how they're proceeding here with the offensive step. I have not seen any other names beyond those that I mentioned and also um, nothing really on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously Robert Sala will be running the show on defense. We'll see if he calls the plays, um, but then that's sort of where they're at right now in terms of building a staff. Still a lot of speculation as to who the defensive coordinator is going to be. So we'll have to monitor that over the next couple of days and weeks. But the man himself, Robert Sala, is the big story right now. And you wrote a fantastic piece over at NJ.com. And I'm not just saying this because we're friends, Daryl, but I really think that it's the best thing you've ever written. And it goes far beyond football. This is a human interest story. So if you're somebody that's not even into football, you would really love this. In fact, I've sent it to so many people already who aren't even into football, and they really enjoyed it. The ending part, which I won't give away, was beautifully written too, Daryl. So let's talk about this piece that you put together at NJ.com for starters What a story. Here's a guy whose grandfather came here as an immigrant from Lebanon, couldn't even read, and now, all these years later, his grandson becomes the first Muslim head coach in the history of the NFL. If that doesn't scream American dream, I don't know what does. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite the story. And Robert Robert Sala's grandfather came here in the 1940s, Albert Sala, and and Robert Sala had been written about quite a bit before. You know, his story's been out there. Um, and it's really a, it's really a fascinating one. Robert Klemko three years ago did an awesome piece about four years ago now you know, in SI, uh, sort of talking a, a lot about the, the 9-11 connection with, with, um, with Robert Sala's brother. But obviously it all started in the 1940s when, when Robert Sala's grandfather, who, who has since passed away, moved here um, from Lebanon and moved to Dearborn, which is the place where um, a lot of Muslim American folks live and have you know, emigrated to. Um, over the years and worked at the Ford plant there, started his own furniture store, had 10 kids, uh, and, and, and they helped him, you know, Robert Sala's brother kind of mentioned this, you know, crazy, you know, his kids, 
uh, helped him read um, because he couldn't read. And, um, and they, they all went on to own furniture stores themselves, including uh, the parents of uh, David and Robert Sala. Um, so they, that's, that's sort of the blue collar town and lifestyle that Robert Sala and his brother David grew up in, and they wound up both going on to college to, to get finance degrees. They, they didn't join the family furniture business. And um, so, so that's sort of how did Robert Sala's brother wound up in the World Trade Center on 9-11. He was a finance guy. And that's how Robert Sala wound up um, in a job he really hated in Detroit, working for Comerica, um, which has, you know, been written about a lot. And, and, and the, the, you know, the tipping point of 9-11 sort of led him to, and his brother's close call there and escape from the towers led him to, you know, obviously want to reevaluate just what the heck am I doing in my life? So that's sort of the launching point for um, Robert Sala building up a coaching career over the past 20 years. And here he is now um, with the Jets. He didn't, you know, didn't spend much time in the finance world. So it's, it's, it's a decision he made pretty quickly with 9-11 sort of as the spark for it that he wanted to coach and got into it. And, uh, you know, look, it's not like he started coaching from, from nothing. I mean, he, he was a dedicated football player, played at division two, Northern Michigan. And, um, and, and, and really with a lot of help along the way from family and friends and connections in the coaching community of people who gravitated toward him, people who really liked Robert Sala and wanted to help him and liked his family, wanted to help them. Um, he sort of, you know, he, he built himself up out of Dearborn, Michigan, where his brother now lives and his, you know, their family still lives there. And a lot of their friends still are still there a little, you know, it's not little, it's, it's a city outside of Detroit. You know, it's right there by Detroit. It's where the Ford plant is, was, I don't know if it's still in operation. Um, but that's sort of where Dearborn, uh, uh, I mean, the high school's Fordson high school, Ford S O N high school. Um, I think their nickname is the tractors or something like that, <laughs> but, uh, that's that, the football powerhouse large Muslim community. So um, a lot of pride in Dearborn um, for Fordson football for one of their own now getting an opportunity with the Jets. So that's, that's sort of the Cliff Notes version of, of, of the story and how Robert Sala wound up with the Jets. And obviously, you know, he made his own way and with a lot of hard work, got a lot of help along the way, but made his own way um, and developed himself into this really well-respected leader, which is what the Jets Jets wanted, and that's sort of how he how he formed himself. And it's such a it seems like such a long journey, right? For a guy, he's really he's only forty one years old, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. He's experienced a whole lot in his life, and his family certainly has experienced a whole lot, um, both good and bad, going back over the last, geez, like eighty years, right? Um, in their in this family's journey from from being Lebanese immigrants to to this point now. And and I think it's important to know too, like Robert Sala is successful. His brother. Obviously, he's fairly successful in his line of work too. He's a mortgage loan officer in Dearborn, um, and so he, you know, got a finance degree. It's not like he works some grinded out blue collar job. I mean, these folks, this this generation of of um, of, of of Lebanese sons of Lebanese daughters of Lebanese immigrants who have come out of Dearborn have really made their way to become you know, doctors and lawyers. And um, one of the guys I talked to for the story, a guy named Brian Masalam, who's a friend of of the Salas going back to childhood, he, uh, he owns his own wealth management company. And when I, t- I was talking to him, this is obviously like a side note. He was, t- he was like down in Florida looking at second homes. Like this guy is like really <laughs> done really, really well for himself. Um, and he was on the Michigan state board of trustees, um, over the last 
eight years. So it's not like he was on that, even that position when he got Robert Sala a job there in the early 2000s. But you know, he played at Michigan State. This this guy I'm mentioning, Brian Masalam, and he was he was great to talk to. Obviously, really ecstatic for his friend. And um, so it just kind of underscores, like, yeah, Robert Sala is very successful, but so are a lot of a lot of other people who you don't really hear about coming out of Dearborn. So he he really isn't alone in this story of these guys in this generation who were in their late 30s, early 40s. Um, I guess Generation X, right? It would be would be that type of you know maybe on the cusp of that, but uh, I don't. Maybe he's a millennial. I don't know. But uh, this generation who have, who came from uh, Lebanese folks and folks from other Middle Eastern countries who came here in the 1940s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s um, have sort of one up there, and that's what they you know your grandparents and your parents always want, right? To do better. Than they did, and and that's that's where a lot of these folks, not just Robert Sala, are in um in terms of in terms of building up their lives and and building up their families' lives. And geez, I mean, he has seven kids, so <laughs> six kids, seven kids. So he'll have plenty of knowledge and wisdom to pass along to them. Daryl, a couple of stories in here that I thought were incredible, but a lot of relationships, as you said, a lot of people really wanted to help Robert Sala, and you mentioned Masalam. He was a Michigan State player, had a lot of connections in the business world and to the donors at Michigan State. So when Salah wanted to get into coaching, he pulled some strings and got him an opportunity. But he thought Salah was wasting his time. He figured, okay, this guy will go. He'll do the coaching thing. He won't make any money. He'll get it out of his system, and then he'll go back to finance. Obviously, that's not what happened. And in fact, when he went to do the interview for the coaching job, it was almost like he was being grilled about why do you want to do this? Why do you want to leave this really good finance job to come here? And he never wavered. And that tells you a lot about Robert Sala's desires and the fact that he simply won't take no for an answer. I also like the fact that he stayed with a family friend when he was working in this low-level coaching assistant role at the beginning, making no money. And that family friend said that Robert could have stayed with them forever. He's family to them. Basically, what all of this tells you is that Robert Sala is somebody that a lot of people love and a lot of people are willing to go to the mat for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, his family has been a, a family that kind of welcomed people in with open arms for years. And I think the, the you know, the one connection you made there um, that you mentioned there with um, the family friend, a guy named John Shinsky, who was uh, in East Lansing, where Michigan State is, at the time in, in 2002 when Robert Sala got his first job in coaching, which is really, it's really a job is a generous way to look at it. I mean, if you're a graduate assistant, you're making a, a crummy little stipend and you're having to go to class and, and you're working. Um, it's, it's basically like a low paid internship. You're working, doing grunt work for the, for the football coaching staff. That, that's really what those jobs are. And so he didn't have a lot of money and he stayed with his family friend, John Shinsky, who um, the connection there is that, John Shinsky actually played at, at Michigan State with uh, Robert Sala's uncle, who, whose name was Awesome Robert Sala, O-S-S-U-M, and um, really gravitated toward Awesome. And you're talking about, you know, in the 1970s when the white folks and Muslim folks didn't, didn't hang out that much, but these guys became very tight, and uh, Awesome had John down to Dearborn to eat and have meals and hang out with his family. And John is you know, trying all this new Lebanese food and really enjoying it. And grab, you know, so, they, so he re- 
they remained friends with Austin Sala and was at his wedding and, and all these years later helping out his nephew with a place to stay. And um, even as a lot of people, including John, were like, what are you doing? Right? Why, do, why do you want to leave behind this job where you have a sure thing probably tracked six figures um, to, to go into a field where there's so much uncertainty and it's very unforgiving? Like you know, so many GAs get into coaching and how many of them make it to this level? Not many. Right. And so it's a hard, it's a hard road to go down. Um, and, but he wanted to do it and he wanted to follow through on his dream. And, um, like I said, you know, like I said, with a lot of connections and a lot of hard work, he made it happen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Daryl, let's talk about something else that's exciting surrounding the New York Jets because obviously everybody's pumped up right now about Robert Sala, but there's a lot of speculation about a new quarterback. Deshaun Watson has more or less made it known that he wants out of Houston. By all accounts, he may very well request a trade formally soon. And if he does, it appears that the Jets and the Miami Dolphins are the two teams that would be best suited for him based on where he may want to go and cap space. Now, remember, you have to keep in mind here that Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause, so any team that wants him, he would have to be okay with going to them. He was liking posts on Instagram suggesting that he go to New York. Everybody knows about how Miami's got the nice weather, the culture they're building there with Brian Flores, no state income tax in the state of Florida. So those are the two teams that everybody assumes if Watson were to get dealt would be at the front of the line. If you're the Jets, I think, and I'll talk about this in depth if this actually comes to fruition in terms of Houston actually making him available, you absolutely have to do whatever you have to to get this guy because A, players like that in their prime don't become available at the quarterback position, and B, you cannot let this guy go to the Miami Dolphins and have him torture you for the next 10 to 15 years. Daryl, I lived through the Dan Marino, Jim Kelly era. I have no desire to see that again with Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson. So let's break this down a little bit. I still think push comes to shove. Nick Casario is not an idiot. He has to realize what he has in Deshaun Watson and sit down and say to Watson, look, you tell us what we need to do to make this right because you're an elite quarterback at 25 years old and we're not moving you. So let's see if we can find a way to get on the same page. You tell us what we need to do to repair this relationship. I know that it was toxic in the past, but I'm new and I'm going to do whatever we have to do to fix this. And Mike Lombardi actually had a really interesting suggestion. He said that if he was the Texans right now, he would hire Marvin Lewis as the head coach because nobody knows how to put out fires and deal with messes like Marvin Lewis, which is true because look at all the nonsense he had to deal with in Cincinnati and was still pretty successful. So you would figure if anybody could come in here and help fix this, it would be Marvin Lewis. What do you think, Daryl? How do you think this ultimately plays out? And if he does somehow become available, do you think that the Jets can make a deal and do you think that they should? Well, I think just starting with point number one, like the biggest thing outside of Joe Douglas's control here is, yes, I mean, obviously they should try, they should try to get this guy, of course. 
they have the draft ammo to do it and they have the cap space and they have the questions of quarterback. So that that's number one. They, they should try. Now, will he make an enormous difference for them? Yeah, he will make a difference. Is, is it going to be the cure-all? No, of course. Joe, he's not going to be the cure-all. And Joe, Joe, Joe Douglas will have a lot of other things to fill in uh, to, to make this team competitive beyond just trading for Deshaun Watson. So that's, of course, they should make a run at him. And we could go down the road of, you know, all the draft picks they have. And basically, they would basically be taking him with a number two draft pick because they'd be trading it, blah, blah, blah. We, so, yes, they should make a run at him. The main thing outside of his control, which is I was saying at the beginning of this little spiel, is, uh, is Nick Casario, who's not an idiot. Like, of course, Nick Casario knows what he has in Deshaun Watson. And like you said, I think you gave – maybe Nick should listen to the, the podcast here and transcribe what you said <laughs> as, a, as a way to mend fences with Deshaun Watson, which is obviously what he should do, which is obviously what he will try to do. Say, I'm new here, right? Um, the, the issue is with the issue that Deshaun Watson has is not with Nick Serio. It's uh, first of all, it's with Cal McNair who, and his father who, who said some things in the past that obviously who it was, he's dead now, but he said some things in the past that Texans players didn't like, right? So not only that, that you have that hanging over this thing. You have the fact that it's Jack Easterby, who's the right-hand man to Cal McNair down there in Houston, who has like no football qualifications, who seems to be a real snake oil salesman by all accounts. And he, players don't seem to like him very much or trust him or think he's, they think he's, he's full of it, it seems like, and has the owner's ear. So there's that. And then there's the fact that they, they told this guy, in, they told Deshaun Watson, oh, we'll involve you in the, in the, in the process. And then they didn't do it. It's, I don't understand why you would do that. Like, if you're going to involve the guy, just how hard is it? Just loop him in. Interview Eric Bieniemy in the first go round. It's not difficult. You all you had to do is set up a Zoom meeting. You and I did this here, Zoom meeting over the phone. And like, what? It took us three minutes for you to send me the password for the Zoom meeting. So, uh, I don't get it. You know, why not involve him? I mean, the Texans are obviously a dumpster fire, but the, the but the, the their one saving grace here is that Nick Casario could tell Deshaun Watson, "Hey, clean slate. I've never worked with you before." Let's try to make this work. Now, Watson might say, I want Easterby out or whatever. And that may or may not be a non-starter down there. So, yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing outside of Joe Douglas's control is will, will Nick Casero basically call Deshaun Watson's bluff and say, no, I'm not trading. We're going to make this work. But if he's available, yeah, then it becomes a question of does he want to come to the Jets because he has that no trade clause, right? So say the Jets offer a ton of picks and the, and the Dolphins could do the same, right? He's going to make the same amount of money no matter where he goes. In fact, he'll make more in Miami because of the no state income tax thing. So if you're Watson, where would you rather go? I mean, the Dolphins are better suited to win right now. That's, there's no doubt about that. The Jets can make some moves with their superior amount of cap space to the Dolphins, right? So, so Watson's going to chip into the cap space for either team. The Jets still have a lot more than the Dolphins, right? So they can add, say, you know, Allen Robinson or whoever to kind of, uh, you know, or tell Watson, hey, we're going to add these people or do it in March, right? If Watson doesn't get traded to, to, to until the draft, that would be fascinating to see, right? The, the Jets adding these pieces and to, to, to entice Deshaun Watson potentially um, in, 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 into agreeing to being traded to them. So, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Um, the bottom line is where would he want to play? I mean, I think all things being equal, he would want to play in Miami because things are not equal. The Dolphins are in better position to win right now. Um, the Jets are more of a question mark. But, you know, maybe he wants to come play in New York, even though he would not be anywhere close to New York City playing in Florham Park. But you get the point. So he maybe that's what he wants. 
maybe that's what he wants an opportunity to come on and be on the stage. And uh, if they're, if they're willing to trade him, if they're willing to trade him, I mean, that's the big, the big stop stopping point here. Will they be willing to trade him? And how many teams would they be willing to trade him to say the dolphins offer whatever draft pick wise, the jets offer say 120% of that, right? So 20% better. Um, you know, will the Texans say, hey, we're only – you want out? We're only taking the Jets offer. That's it. You want to go anywhere? That's it. What does Watson do then? So there's so many what-ifs here. I think it's fascinating because you and I talked about this before. Like, this has never happened. I mean, you, you brought up, the, you know, Kirk Cousins when we were talking about a quarterback become, becoming available in his prime. Obviously, that hasn't worked out. Kirk Cousins is a little older and not nearly as good as Watson. But he was a free agent, right? So <laughs> the trade and the no-trade clause and all this stuff – makes it so fascinating with all these moving pieces. But should the Jets be interested? Of course. Of course they should be. I mean, the, the, uh, Joe Douglas would be a fool for not trying to trying to, to make this work. He could try as hard as he wants, and you know, through no fault of his own, he might not be able to land this guy, which is just the way it goes, right? Yeah, and that's going to be the question. Can they have the best offer and, as you said, pitch Deshaun Watson on a successful culture and being able to add the types of players that he wants around him. This, of course, all contingent on if Houston actually ends up being willing to trade him. There does have to be a limit, though, Daryl, because for as much as I say, do whatever it takes, there is a line that you have to draw in the sand. And Mike Tannenbaum, I think, was the one that actually drew that line unintentionally when he was on with <laughs> Keyshawn Johnson. He said, hey, give up whatever you want. If you have to throw in a bunch of draft picks, do it. If you have to throw in a player like Denzel Mims, we all like him, that's okay. You can include him. You can find another Denzel Mims. If you have to throw in Quinn and Williams, throw in Quinn and Williams. As soon as he said that, I was like, okay, now you've gone too far, and I just remembered why you got fired because you traded draft picks like they grew on trees. In the 2009 draft, they had three draft picks in the entire draft, so nobody valued yeah. draft picks yeah. less than Mike Tannenbaum. So there's got to be a line, but you've got to be willing to trade a ton. You've got to be willing to make the top offer, and you've got to be willing to do anything you have to do to convince Deshaun Watson to come play here and waive his no-trade clause if the Texans trade him. And I think that is ultimately the biggest hurdle here because I think you can convince Watson and I think that there's no reason that if you really want him, you shouldn't be able to make the best offer. But is Houston going to trade him? And like I said, I think if you're Nick Casario, there's no way that you should do that without exhausting every single effort that you can to find a way to keep him in the fold. And as you said, Daryl, we've got a couple of months before this trade could even be made official anyway. So they've got time to try and make this right. We'll see what happens. But it's a fascinating situation and another very exciting storyline for Jets fans to follow over the next couple of weeks and months potentially. Daryl Slater of NJ.com, back on the show. So happy to have you back. Really appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to doing weekly midweek news shows with you again. It's been way too long, sir, so I'm glad that we were able to do this. Everybody that hasn't read it yet has to go to NJ.com right now and read that fantastic piece that you wrote about Robert Sallow. Like I said, I think it's the best thing you've ever written, and it's one of the best things I've seen written about Robert Sala. and there's a lot of really good stuff out there about Robert Sala, but I think yours is the best in terms of just figuring out his journey and seeing who he is as a person. So for anybody that hasn't read that or the rest of your great work lately, how can they do that? 
Yes, everything is there at nj.com slash Jets. And, we, you know, we also do a great job covering the Giants. Zach Rosenblatt's our Giants guy and nj.com slash Giants. So I have some Giants stuff up there still, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how this all works out. I mean, it's an I like the hire. I think it's a good hire. Uh, do I think that they could have done just as well with another coach? Sure, I probably. Um, the bottom line is, the coach is not, you know, as much as people want to look at Robert Sala as this, you know, flawless, great leader. And, you know, he probably, you know, he's a good, he's a good leader, right? I mean, he could do very well with a job. But let's not forget here, <laughs> there's another component to this whole thing. You, you have to have good players to coach. And the Jets roster is kind of a mess right now. And whether they do or don't get Deshaun Watson, they're still going to have to fill a bunch of other holes, as, as I'm sure you've discussed on here a lot. So we'll discuss some more. Um, but they have they have issues, and it's up to Joe Douglas to try to plug those holes because Robert Sala is obviously going to play a role in that, but he is not going to be the guy necessarily who fixes this roster. Uh, he'll coach the guys up who are here, um, but it's on Joe Douglas to make the most of getting whoever it is, whether it's through draft picks or trading draft picks or signing signing players to give Robert Sala a much better roster than Adam Gase had. Because let's be honest, I mean, Adam Gase was a mess, a disaster. Would other coaches have done better last season than Gase did with that roster? Yes, surely. But the Jets are not a playoff contending roster right now, no matter who their coach is. And it's up to Joe Douglas to fix that. The, you know, look, I think the easy part's out of the way. They hired a guy who was very obviously a very good candidate. And anyone, you didn't have to be Corn Ferry or NFL GM to see that Robert Sala was a good candidate. Anyone could have said, hey, let's come be our head coach. It was on him to accept it. And he did. Now comes the hard part. You know, now comes the uncertain part, the draft crapshoot, signing the right free agents, not overpaying for guys like Le'Veon Bell or whatever. So that's where GMs cut their teeth, I think. Right? I think that's where it is. Not, not hiring a head coach, though that is important. Uh, but the bigger job for Joe Douglas is ahead. And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for Jets fans to hope. But, you know, remember, um, you, you still have to put a lot of faith in Joe Douglas to do his job uh, and do it right. No question about it, and we will see exactly where this journey takes Robert Sala and Joe Douglas together over the next couple of months. This is a very pivotal time period for the Jets. We say that a lot, but this time it's definitely true. So make sure that you're following everything here on Play Like a Jet. And of course, read Daryl's work over at NJ.com. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com. <laughs>